Come on, let's give it up for our children's ministry. It's incredible. Yeah, you grab it, grab it. Yes. Yeah. Again, I feel like I've said this over and over, but um, what an absolutely incredible just district and pastors and love. I mean, honestly, we want to move here, right? And, and be with you. It's just incredible the encouragement that we have received on behalf of my wife and myself. Love being here. Janet, just say hi to everybody. Hello. Yeah. Incredible night last night, wasn't it? Man, prophesy to these bones. Dry bones live again. And, and I hope that, uh, that you walk out of this place, that God's prompted something in you, God stirred something in you. And, that, um, and again, here's what I say with recalibrate. At the end of the day, I want pastors just to love their church again. I want you to be able to go, man, we get to be at church. Right now, living in Seattle, the only place that's kind of peaceful is my home in church. Only place. And what I want for you more than anything, more than anything, people ask, what does Recalibrate do when you coach, when you do cohorts? I just try to find out what's in the heart of the pastor. And let's do that. Let's get excited about what Jesus is doing. John Wesley said, all I do is I set myself on fire and people come and watch me burn. Come on. At some level, at some level, we just got to set ourselves on fire. And we got to set our church on fire. And, and for me, that's different for every church, different how you're wired, how you're made, what God's called you to do, your assignment. But let's set every pastor, 250 churches, what would happen if 250 churches in Minnesota would just actually like church and like Jesus and like their people, right? And, and that we would have churches that would touch children and youth, that would touch the next generation. We want revival in America. It starts with us. It starts right in the house, right here, right? It starts with each and every one of us. And so I hope that these few days, by the way, I know we're in the final session, but I'm going to go strong until Mark grabs his mic from me, right? Come on. We're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go strong until about 10, 15 that I hear, right? Then I'm gone. Well, really, I'm not gone. I'm just a part of your network now. I'm going to start sending my tithe here, everybody. So there it is. And so what I want to do is I want to just talk for a few moments here, and then we're going to do Q&A, take some from the audience, that kind of thing, and then blessings as we um, um, end this event together, but praying that it would just be a very special time for you. I want to give you my information. I already did that. Many of you text me. I have your questions. Um, you can follow me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm at Troy H. Jones. Also, people ask me all the time, do I do one-on-one -on -one coaching? I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and consulting with pastors. If you're interested in that, you can go to my website. Well, the website's not up there. You can just email me. How's that sound? Or you can text me. I think every pastor needs people in their lives that will stretch them, that will push them out of their comfort zone. And I want to encourage you, if your church is ready to make that kind of investment, may I do coaching. Also, I do cohorts. Recalibrate will do a core starting this fall, kind of for churches all over the nation. And we're talking to um, Pastor Mark about doing a cohort here in Minnesota. If you're interested in a Minnesota Recalibrate cohort, let me tell you what we, I help you do. I help you develop a one-page plan for your church. Like get your entire church, we'll talk about that in just a few moments, on one page. And I help you develop a plan to light your church on fire. I help you develop a plan to relaunch your church. And that's where pastors all get nervous. 
That's where they get all nervous because, you know, it's one thing to go, yeah, yeah, we want Jesus to be Lord and we want to do something, but we don't want to like put it on writing and talk to people about it. <laughs> Let me just say this, and I don't have time with all my context of recalibrate here, but one of the big recalibrate axioms I use is this, dreams without deadlines are dead ends. Thank you for your excitement in the house. <laughs> in other words, you got to put a date on it and say, this is what God's going to do. We're going to relaunch our church. We're going to do this. We're going to have something new, something fresh, something that's going to make people lean in, something that's going to make people think, wow, these men are not drunk, as you suppose. I mean, right there, that these people are excited about the gospel. That, that, wow, it makes people proud of your church. It makes people go, I want to be a part of that church because that's what we try to put on a piece of paper and then set a date and we ignite that fire. Just like you've experienced in the last couple of days here. Every time someone gets up here, I'm excited about this district. It gives you rally points. And so if you're interested, either one-on-one -on -one coaching, you can let me know, or a cohort in Minnesota, let Pastor Mark go. No, and we will, we will do everything we can, my wife and I, everything we can. By the way, if all you need is someone to encourage you before you walk into that board meeting and you have my text, say, I'm just really feeling, I'll text you back and I'll tell you, go ahead, go ahead. Come on, if you just need someone to cheer you on. We will do everything we can to be your cheerleaders because we do believe, it's despite everything that stats tell you, what's happening in America, blah, 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 I believe the best is yet to come. And I believe that dry bones will live again in America and the church will be alive once again, right? Good, all right. What I want to do is I want to take a moment and I got to find my notes. Whoa. You know, you love, there we are. You love electronics, but how many people are there of the devil too, right? Right, yeah. I want to honor, before I finish the re some thoughts here um, this morning, a group of pastors that pastor what we call world churches. I think some of the greatest churches in America are ones that you'll never see on someone's social media feed. You'll never see in a church growth magazine, but they're doing more for the kingdom of God than so many other churches that we see around us. And I really believe that. And let me tell you, I, I've, been, I've been really wrestling with that for the last five years and because I, I see that impact in my family. God had to give me a country girl from a town, Kellogg, Idaho, Kingston, Idaho, where I have in my notes here is less than 2,000 people live in Pinehurst, Idaho, where my wife is from. And I'm telling you, God had to give me someone that really loved Jesus to keep up with me in a city church. And to see her love for God has shown me the impact that a rural church has in the kingdom of God. And then my two daughters, they both married country boys. They both married boys that were, that were impacted by rural churches. And I was sitting there looking at my family and honestly, full transparency, I thought to myself, wow, maybe rural churches do a better job than some other churches we talk about. Because three people in my family tree now is from a church, a rural church, with less than 100 people, less than 50 people. 
And so I sat down, I'm a writer by nature, and I put together a tribute that I want to make to any and all churches here in Minnesota. I want to read this, and I want to pay respect to you. Because you're, you, you, you pastored my son-in-laws. You pastored my wife. New Life is a great church because of you. So I want to pay tribute to you. And I wrote this up. There's a church in Pinehurst, Idaho. Pinehurst is a town of less than 2,000 people. When you drive east on I-90, be careful. Chances are you will miss this town altogether. Only one exit. No stop signs. Very few restaurants. Only one post office. And yet a handful of rural pastors who open their doors faithfully every Sunday. Walking through the doors of this Pinehurst church, at first glance, it's easy to miss the kingdom impact. Crowds are not large, but the people are faithful. The pastor probably won't show up on your social media feed, nothing fancy that captures the eye. What you will see are faithful people who love Jesus and their community. Well, you have never heard of the Pinehurst Church, the kingdom of God has. You see, my brother-in-law, Roger Archer, was raised in this church. He learned how to hear and obey the voice of God. Today, Roger, he pastors a growing church in the Pacific Northwest, one of the least churches, church places in the nation. He readily admits his life was impacted by this church very few people have ever heard about. See, you have missionaries like Terry and Jill Hall that are from this church. Their ministry is around the world because of this small world church. There are countless of pastors, youth pastors, associates, missionaries sent out by this world church making an eternal difference in the kingdom of God. On a very, very personal note, my wife, Jana Jones, was raised at this church. And by the way, side note, we were married at this church. She learned how to pray. She learned how to wait at the altar. She learned how to play the piano at one of those old-fashioned Sunday night prayer meetings. See, my wife is by far one of the most fully devoted followers of Jesus I know. Today, she stands in the gap for thousands of people because of this small rural church in Pinehurst, Idaho. Today... I salute you. I pay great respect to every pastor, every leader of rural churches and pastors in America. I am so grateful. Not only for how my wife was impacted, but also my two son-in-laws. Matt Harder found Jesus at a church in a rural community located in Moses Lake, Washington, and married my oldest daughter, Kaylee. Brandon Beeson was shaped by a small church in Dayton, Ohio, and married my second daughter, Chelsea. I am so grateful for rural churches. These churches have shaped the lives of my wife, two daughters, my son-in-laws, and now my grandkids. Perhaps the greatest heroes in the kingdom of God are pastors who pastors American rural churches. Pastors are paid very little, often work second jobs, are rarely celebrated in conferences or seminars, and yet their influence is felt in the kingdom of God. Today I say thank you to you 
Thank you for showing up to the hospitals. Thank you for ministry when no one is watching. Thank you for loving my wife, my son-in-laws. Thank you for preaching the word Sunday after that Sunday. Thank you. Thank you. I pay great respect to you. Come on, let's give all these pastors a big hand. Can we do that? Come on, give them a big hand. If you pastor in a rural church, I want you to stand. Come on, you pastor in a rural church, I want you to stand. In a rural church area, come on. Come on, let's just pay great respect and honor to these pastors. Incredible. Incredible. Wow. Wow, I have read that a couple of times, but never in front of my wife. It's, wow, thank you for your ministry and for who you are. How many of you are ready to jump in the notes? I'm trying to get myself caught up here. Wow, that was emotional for me. But um, All right, I believe with all my heart, all my heart, that the reason why most churches are struggling, and specifically established churches, churches have been around, I'm my burden, why I love church planning, and I love um, revitalizing churches, I love all that, but I love churches that have been around for decades, that have like good bones, that the church is solid at the core, and yet that church is stagnated. That's the kind of church I love. The church is like remodeling. I live in a home that was built in 1896, and I remodeled that home over and over and over again. And let me tell you, there's nothing like a home that was built in 1896. Great bones, good structure, beautiful. I mean, like, I'll show you a picture of my house later because someone requested to see my house. I'll show you a picture of it in a few moments. I love my old home. However, I couldn't live in it unless it was remodeled. Come on. And I want you to hear that. Love it. If you saw me with my home, my wife goes, you have like, you love the home. I love my home. A part of it is because I never had a home growing up. So part of it is I have a home. Does that make sense? And I've remodeled every ounce of this home more than you can imagine. Just like my home, I love, absolutely love churches. My church is 90 plus years old. I love churches with history, legacy, people that know how to pray. However... If you don't remodel the church, come on, ready? No one's going to want to live in it. Come on, is that okay to say? Sometimes I, I, I make these statements like, ah, and I, I'm trying to be as kind and nice and gentle, but straight up. I want people to live in your church, to be at home. But the problem is, it's a great church, but it needs someone to recalibrate it. And as I explained on day one, I see recalibration different than revitalization. You revitalize something when it's a, you know, like they're in critical care, life support. I don't think most churches need life support. They just need new vision. They need a leader that stands up, stands up and says, the best is yet to come. They need a leader that goes, oh, I know that there's not many in the audience, but God is here, and we're going to dream again. We're gonna, we have a new idea. 
We have some thoughts that we want to move the church forward. We want to recalibrate or you'll die. And we laid a biblical foundation for this. We talked about it. I gave you three initial questions to ask yourself. And you can do this on your own, but three questions. I call them the God, the gut, and the gutsy question. You can read about these in my book. The God question, it always starts with, what is God birthing in your heart? And the truth is, some of us are so busy doing ministry, and we're so busy preaching Sunday after Sunday, and we're so busy putting out emergencies that we don't have time to stop and go, yeah, is God speaking? We really don't have time to even ponder. Like, what's new? What's fresh? What's the new dream? We don't have time to ponder it, but we need that sense, like they had in the book of Acts, that seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit to do something that will move the church forward. You need that God question. Then the gut question, which is a really bad question. I hate the question. What makes you cringe? I'll tell you, we ask this question so often. Ooh, sometimes I tell my wife, can we wait till we get home before you tell me everything that makes you cringe? Like, like, I don't need it right now after I preach on Sunday. How many people give, give me a good witness, right? Like, but what makes you cringe? And if it makes you cringe, that's the very thing that's going to stop people from inviting their friends. I'm convinced of it. That's the very thing that God's, God's really nudging on you. Now, be careful. Just because something makes you cringe, it doesn't mean it's, it's, um, you have to change it immediately. You have to think mission critical. There's all types of thoughts there. Sometimes it's because you had like bad pizza the night before. Does that make sense? Or sometimes you need to get a good nap. But what makes you cringe? And we ask that question all the way through from the parking lot, from the street to the seat. We ask that question about how we dress, the music, how the service feels. I know some of you go, oh, man, are you like like over the top? I don't think so. Probably some would say, say I am. But down to the plate, the how we dress, how we look, how we talk, what language we use. I think sometimes we use language in church like, <laughs> like we don't even sound like real people. I was talking to my worship leader when he first came, and he got there and just went, hallelujah. I'm like, whoa, bro. I mean, no one talks like that. I said, if you want to say hallelujah, great, but stop and say, hey, there's a phrase in the Bible called hallelujah. It means praise the Lord. Let's say it together. I said, actually do it like, like, like you believe it. Don't have church talk. Does that make sense? Uh, the thing that makes me crazy in our service the most is when we get churchy, so churchy, we don't even believe it. Oh, we could have fun there. People ask, do you talk about everything in the church? Everything. If it's in the Bible, we talk about it. But if I'm going to talk about, like, sin, I'm not going to go, you're a sinner. You're going to hell. And what I'm going to say is we are all sinners. We all need the grace of God. Or we'll face the judgment of God. Do you see the difference? The gut question. And then the biggest question is the gutsy question, which I don't like. And that is, are you really, really, really willing to change are you willing to fire yourself and start again? Ah. And especially just bandwidth and energy, when do I even have time to stop and go, okay, wow, what does, what does my Sundays look like? Kids' ministry look like? What does that look like? But I'm here to tell you that if you don't recalibrate, you'll stagnate, and one day you will need life support. And my burden is to help you bring new dream, new vision, and not only bring the new dream, but actually 
do it? Actually say something to your church. Honestly, I love the book of Acts where these men are not drunk as you suppose. I want people occasionally go, Ooh, what has our pastor been drinking? Now, that is a joke. Okay? I don't drink, everybody. And I think it's one of the great... Anyways, that's another issue. But I want people to go, man, pastor, today, he, he's excited about something. Something. Instead of getting boring announcements that no one cares about. One of the things... I'll do some assessment for churches when I go to their Sundays. One of the things I look at is their announcements. I can tell everything about your church through your announcements. I can tell what you care about. I can tell who, who you listen to. Watch the audience. Most people are not listening. By the way, they don't read your bulletin, but you pass out anyways. Just nudging a little bit. I told you in the final session we're going to have a good time. And so how do you recalibrate? I have, uh, I have a whole process helping a church develop um, uh, one page for kind of our big initiative in your church. But I want to give you three kind of steps here, kind of the first three we're talking about, then we'll do a Q&A. And the first thing you have to do when you calibrate, number one, number one, it always starts with the leader. Everyone say leader. You have to recalibrate yourself first. You have to, the hardest part, the heart by far, the hardest part when I'm working with the church or working with the pastor is to get him or her to admit there's a problem. Because you're deceptively healthy and it feels good. You're deceptively healthy. It's like getting a man to go to the doctor. I don't want to go for a checkup. My wife makes me. No, I'm feeling good. I'm great. No, I need to check them, right? I don't like that. To just admit out loud, just admit out loud, we need to change. Oh! Or I wouldn't bring my children to that children's ministry. I wouldn't drop my grandkids. I was pastoring one church and coaching, doing consulting, and the pastor, great church. Hey, how'd you like? I said, do you want, like, where do you want me to start? And I said, let me just start here. I wouldn't leave my grandkids in your nursery. They're all negative. And let me tell you, this is right right now. New Life needs to recalibrate our nursery, the most important part of the church by far. By far is the nursery. I can tell more about your church looking there. Anyways, I'm off on a ramp here, rage, whatever you call it, rant. There it is, rant. But you truly need to look out, out loud and say, yes, we need to, re yes, we need new vision. We need new dream and have the guts to say that. So you got to relaunch yourself. You got to recalibrate yourself and just really kind of in this quick seminar, 30,000 foot view. Let me give you some ideas. I have found that when I need to relaunch myself, that I can't lead myself by myself. Let me say it again. That was really good. I can't lead myself by myself. I have found that the, when I get stagnated, and I do all the time, it's normal. It doesn't even shock me. I don't go, whoa, you're stagnant. I go, okay, it's happened again. 
We just got to say it out loud. I can't lead myself by myself. And so I, what I do is I get other people in my life. I will like, I have a coach I see three, four times a year. Help me think again. Help me dream again. What I need to do right now, and I want, this is what I would encourage every one of you to do. I think one reason we stagnate because we don't see anything beyond what we see. Does that make sense? And all we have seen is what we see. Oh, I'm almost speaking in tongues here a little bit, but you get it. And what we have to do is we got to get out of our box and we got to go and find a church that maybe just a couple steps ahead of us. Even acknowledge that there's people who are doing it better than you is good. And go and see something different. And when you see it, by the way, and this is what I do all the time. I'm doing this. I'm, I'm literally going to do four church visits because I want to see people that are doing Sundays better than I'm doing it and are doing children's ministry better than I'm doing it. Does everyone follow that? When I go, I don't go with a critical eye. I go with a learning eye because I want to learn. I want, what, what are they thinking about? Why do they do that? And I took our entire board and elders to a church when I first, when I first became pastor. I took all of them to a great church. I said, you're not allowed to like it or dislike it. I don't want you to like tell me your opinions. They are doing it better than we are. So all you, and this can make some of you uncomfortable just to say someone's doing it better than you. Some of you go, no, yeah, they are. Come on, right? It takes a little bit of humility and go learn and just ask, like, why do they do that? And don't say, well, they should worship. Don't do that. Or they should just, why? And when I study a church, I look at the pastor's cadence and where he or she stands and how they, like, why they stand there and why do they do that with the new people and the kids? And I'm telling you, find a church that's a couple steps ahead of you. And find somehow, I know some of you going, you're thinking about your Sunday morning, who's going to preach. I get that. Find someone to preach. It will live one Sunday without you. Trust me. May do better too. Another issue. And I know it's hard. I'm not trying to minimize that. It's hard. Anytime I leave a Sunday, it's, I get that. But you need it. You need to see church done differently. So you got to recalibrate yourself. You got to relaunch yourself. For me, I have to go see someone do it. And it may be the entire church or a particular area of the church. So I'm about to hire right now a new, brand new champion of our children's ministry. And I said, the first thing you need to do is I need to find a children's ministry that is way better than us. And we do it well. I need you to go. And why do they think like that? Who do they recruit? I need you to smell it. And again, if I was coaching you one-on-one, which is what I'm doing right now, is that okay? Go see a church and don't be critical. Well, well, they're just, and learn. When it comes to preaching, find, by the way, in the day of social media, and you can watch people preach all over the place, find a couple preachers that preach better than you. I know some of you go, really? And I really mean it. Are different or can learn. I watch speakers and I really don't care what they say. I watch for their cadence and how I can learn, how I can grow. I'm telling you, the first step to your church is for you to say, wow, I've been here, fill in the blank, I've been here for me 18 years. That means I have to recalibrate or I'll die. And the problem is the church people will be okay if I die. Right? Quite honestly, 
the new life loves me. If I stagnate a little bit, they're not going to go, oh, it's the people that are not there I'm worried about. And so get someone that will stretch you. Get outside your church. Grow. Do whatever it takes. Right now, I finished my doctoral degree five years ago. I go, oh, man, I need another program. This is me. I need people to force me to read just because I go get busy. So I'm going to put myself in a program, in an executive leadership program at Stanford, just so I have people kicking me. And by the way, in this case, I want to do it outside even the church. I want like high-level thinkers that make me feel like I don't think. And some of you go, really? And I'm going, yes. Is the gospel worth you growing? You better believe it. You either grow daily or you die gradually. That was so good. Yes, amen. I love you. I love you too. Okay, so you have to, number one, like if just like quick 30,000 view kind of coaching, last morning session, you got to relaunch, you got to recalibrate, recharge yourself, call it whatever re you want to call it. If you need somebody to go, well, are those words, I always find it funny when some people, like, I had someone attack me, are those words in the Bible that you need to lead yourself? I said the hardest person to lead is yourself, and they go, no, the Holy Spirit leads me, that's not true. I'm like, Really? I'm going, of course the spirit, I don't know, you're just so weird. <laughs> of course the spirit of God leads me. But I got to like do something in this. Anyways, it's, it, now you're in a theology and I, I can't go there, okay? I can't go there right now. <laughs> Number two, so the second thing I'd encourage you to do, like kind of first initial steps, is this is huge. Get everybody, everyone say everybody, on the same page. Okay, get everyone on the same page. I pass out um, New Life's one page, and I want to just take about five minutes to talk about this for a moment. Does everyone have a copy of it or got it yesterday? If you need a copy, raise your hand. Come on, get saved right now. Get saved. Everyone raise your hand. And they're coming. All right. Here's the question people ask all the time when I'm coaching, working with a pastor, whatever. They go, man, everyone is like not on the same page. Let's get these out here. We're having revival in the house. Look at, yes, you got saved. Amen, you right there. Now let's raise some money. $10,000 for you right there. <laughs> I'm going strong. We're going to take all the way to 1015 strong. Everyone ready for that? Good. So here's the deal. My board's not on the same page with me. My staff's not on the same page with me. My person in the lobby that complains all the time is not on the same page with me. How many of you know that lobby person? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I got their names. Believe me, they attend my church. And I'm doing everything I can to send them to Minnesota. They're not on the same page, they're not on the same page. And here, ready? I'm going to tell you something. The reason why people are not on the same page with you is because maybe you don't have that page down. Because you really, honestly, here's <laughs> what I've discovered, most pastors, and this all of us, and we've all been there, we really don't know what the heartbeat and the mission of the church is. I asked the pastor the other day, hey, let's talk about your mission. Here's what he said to me. He said, don't do it. He said, well, hey, I need, to, he said, I need to go to the website and figure it out. 
Wow, you don't, here's what I said, you don't have a mission. You don't have one. Well, we do too, it's in the Constitution. No, you don't. I'm talking about a mission that rallies the church. A mission that you wake up and go, this is why we exist. And you say it out loud. And more than say it out loud, it just becomes like we exist. And you'll see our one page. This will help you have a practical example. Practical example. Everyone at New Life knows. And we have nicknames for it. We have different ways we say it. But everyone knows that at the end of the day, New Life wants you to be fully devoted to Jesus. That's why we exist. To lead people in a fully devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes out on accident. We think it, we bleed it, that we exist for children, for students, for adults. I don't care if you're a prodigal son, the old brother, young brother. We want all of us to be fully devoted to Jesus. That's why we are alive. So when your church like gets off track, it's probably because you're off track or you haven't really taken this mission. Some of you are going, mission? I'm supposed to have a mission statement. Yes but one that resonates that unites the church. And so when you recalibrate something, this is what you do. Some people go, man, kind of when you recalibrate, you're really not changing anything. You're kind of going back to like the heart of scripture. Yes, amen. When I, when I get my car alignment, I'm not changing my car. I'm making my car run better, effectively. That's why sometimes I don't even call it change. It's the new vision Realizing that your church exists for one reason that will trigger change. Does that make sense? But is it change? It's like Bible. Uh, new people going to church like, Stout. yeah, we exist fully. Okay, like say something new. I really don't want to say anything new. I'll take the scripture. Just word it in a way that becomes beautiful for your church. And so I don't like every, I'm going to say every Sunday I say this. I don't like every Sunday I say it. But often, man, I'm just preaching. We want you to be fully devoted to Jesus. That's why we exist. We don't want you to be fully devoted to politics or social issues. It is Jesus. You're all in or you're not. So that's our mission. So, see, here's the problem. Some of you do have a piece of paper, but it's like a piece of paper nobody reads. And you got to get off the paper into the heart of the church. Again, in the final session, I can't, what I'm trying to do is kind of nudge you more than nudge you, mess you up a little bit. If I was coaching you, the first thing I would do is sit down with your core of your church, the core people, and I wish I had time to talk about that, but that's your board, that's your key influencers, that's your staff, that volunteer, I don't care who it is. Some of you go, well, the only core person I have is my spouse, and so sit down with your spouse and get on the same page that will become, this is like the Bible of new life. Now, it's like the Bible, except with one little exception. Uh, we, we can tweak it. And update it. Does that make sense? Matter of fact, every three to five years, we update it. We tweak it. We change it. So you got to have, uh, you got the mission. You have your, the mission is the big, big rally call, why you exist. The model is your big idea, how you do it. How you do it. And so at New Life, we gather, grow, go. That's church. And I'll say, we just had a newcomer's lunch Sunday. Sunday. And I said, we gather, we grow, we go. That's how we do church. 
We don't, and I tell them how we don't do it. We don't like, we want you here every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday. I said, I don't want to be at church that much. Now, I know some of you going, some of you are like, well, I disagree with you. I'm not telling you to agree with me. I'm telling you to come up with something you like and something that unites the church. Does that make sense, everybody? In our final moments together, the reason why people are not on the same page with you is because you probably don't have a page. Amen. Is that too hard? Oh, good, good, good. Got my wife here. My soft side. Come on. We need a page. And so we have a model. We have core values. By the way, core values is like the blood of the church. It's, a, it's a, literally your DNA. This is what we're going to fight about. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I say to New Life, New Life is about the Bible. About the Bible. Biblical authority. The Bible says it. We're good. We're like not good. We stand on that. If the Bible's clear, we'll be clear. If the Bible's not, we're cool. Do you realize what I just said there? I'm like, I freed up. Some of you don't even agree with me, which is fine. If the Bible's unclear, we're great. That's. <laughs> I wish I had time to nudge on you because some of you wouldn't agree with me there. There are a lot of things the Bible's not clear about, and we'll be in heaven together with those people. Just side note, can I say this? The Bible is not clear on politics, everybody. I, I'm just telling you. People come to me, oh, they act like Jesus was a Republican. I'm like, oh my, you are like, wow. I said, it's okay to be an American, but there's a difference from being a Christian and American. Just side note. And I'm first a follower of Jesus and I'm a proud American, so I'm not, I'm a proud American, but I'm first. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Being American is way second, although very important to me. Does that make sense? And so these are things that this sheet will pour out and you unite the church. People get, ex people, if, I can't say it enough. People can only rally behind you if you're clear, you're concise, you're consistent. And what happens is that we get stagnated on some of this stuff. I meet pastors all the time. Like the, I just tell you about the story. Hey, what's your, what's your mission? He said, well, let me go to my website. You don't have one. Then he read it to me. I'm going, wow, that was boring. That's why I said that was long. And I said, and you're paying me to tell you this, but you already know it. It's like a doctor telling you you need to, act, you, don't, you know it, right? I said, you don't believe that's your mission. Well, can I change it? Of course you can change it. Or, my word, you can recalibrate it. Reset it. And I don't care if you even keep the same one. Just like it again. So get everyone on the same page. We have Mission Critical Ministries, which is huge. These are the signature ministries of New Life. This is how we do our calendar. This is how we do our budget. This is how we do our announcements. This is how we do everything. By the way, I don't like the word announcements. This is how we create culture. It's all in these things. And if I'm coaching you, in a few moments, we're sitting at Starbucks, I would tell you, first you need to relaunch, recharge yourself. You need to get excited about Jesus and ministry again. And I would tell you, number two, is get everyone on the same page. Do the hard work. Get everyone on the same page. Okay? And the third thing I'll tell you, then we'll take questions. I'll tell you this. Just lead your church into a bold, everyone say bold, initiative. 
In other words, come up with something new, exciting, and say, on this date, this is going to happen. I don't, honestly, people, what should that be? It should be whatever will ignite passion inside of you. Whatever is going to get you like going like this, wow. But let me word it like this. It should be whatever's going to make you feel a little bit like afraid, right? Like, wow, is this going to happen? You go after it. And, and I'm telling you, you lead your church. And I believe every three to five years, you need to have this massive initiative where the church feels like it's like relaunching. The church feels like, wow, the pastor has new vision and you update this process. It's kind of like you're planning your church again. You're planting again. Think like a church planner. Think like that every three to five years, but now I'm planting with the mess in front of me. Does that make sense? I have everything in front of me, but I want everyone to feel new vision, new excitement. I want people to feel like this is the first time I ever wrote the mission statement. Like if you came to New Life right now, you'll go, wow, did you guys like first time you ever, like first time you ever, no, it's, it's, we've had this mission statement for years. We did tweak it recently. We had another one for 17 years and we tweaked it. But the tweak is so we can love it again. Does that make sense to everybody? And so number one, relaunch yourself. Start growing. Number two is get everyone on the same page. Do the hard work. And number three, come up with some bold initiative that's going to make people take a deep breath and go, Pastor, let's go. The best is yet to come. Let's go after that together. Let's rally the church. Let's get people leading in. Let's get people giving. Let's get people heart and soul with you as a church. Amen? All right, what I want to do is 10 o'clock. Let's do some Q&A. What I'm going to do, I'll go to the questions I have here if I can find them. Here they are. But let me just publicly, let me fill some questions here, then I'll go to the questions sent to me if we have time. What would be some questions you would have about what we've talked about this morning, relaunching your church, relaunching yourself, some questions you would have? Raise your hand. We're going to do it. Yes, right there. Yeah. It's such a hard, the question is, how do I lead and change without creating chaos? And what do I change, right? And obviously in a couple sessions together, it's hard to get all of that stuff. But let me kind of give you a couple of little nudges there. First of all, you're going after what's mission critical. Okay. And I think there's a ton of things in your church that you can change and people are only going to celebrate and they're not going to fight. Okay, this is really big. It's not going to create chaos. It actually may create people celebrate you. For example, example, if I preach better, people are going to like that. No, no, I really, I mean that. Like, all of a sudden, the pastor's more relevant, more Bible. I mean, I, I know that sounds crazy, but we miss what I call, read my book, I call them quadrant one wins. Quad, they're high impact but low resistance. Does that make sense? And I don't have time to get it. This is why we need to do a core or, or whatever. We need to do something or read, at least read the book. 
Um, so there are changes that we really need to follow our high impact, low resistance. I'll just, for whatever it's worth, nobody is going to resist or create chaos if we do children's ministry better. <laughs> nobody. And so sometimes when we think of change, we think automatically what I call high impact, but um, load bearing. In other words, they cause a lot of chaos. It's like a load bearing wall. Just right now, here's what I would start with you. Get like the right things right. Like get children's ministry better. Get your bathroom smelling better. And people may celebrate. And I'm just going to say this, and I know this may hit a load bearing wall and we only have minutes together, but people aren't going to resist if your service goes a bit shorter. Now, some of you go, well, you don't know my people. And that may be true. I, I, I get that. But some of, <laughs> I wish I had time. It's just sometimes we miss, and we don't know the obvious because we haven't visited other churches. We haven't seen, we haven't learned. So, yeah, I am, so it's really, I don't want to create chaos. With that said, every once in a while, a little chaos is good. Right? One of the questions someone asked me is, how do you, um, what's, let me see, look at the question here. Um, because it goes with your question. How do you navigate between the tension, between recalibrate and contentment and peace? Uh, well, here's what I want to say. There are seasons in the church where you need to be aware of as a shepherd where it's not ready for any radical changes. And that may shock some of you to hear me say that. But I watch the temperature of the church. You can't always have, matter of fact, you want consistent environment you want environments that people are predictable environments. Does that make sense, everybody? So there are seasons. And then there are other seasons where people, you need jump, you know, jumpstart. There needs to be radical change. You as a pastor have to be aware of that. With that said, there is a list of changes, improvements that you can do. And you actually want to create a culture where it's a culture of change. This is huge. Where people expect us to be having continuous improvements. And I am convinced, and I, I've not, and I realize I'll run into church one day, this is not true. I realize that. But for the most part, there are so many things you could do, not by this Sunday, permission to exaggerate, but you could do now to begin to really create an environment. For, uh, this is why I love doing assessment of a person's Sunday morning. And I think maybe you, you ought to do your, I have a 70-point assessment on my website. You could do a self one. It's 70 things to look at about your Sunday morning. But one thing, like, like you got music in your lobby and warm it up. You can actually do things to create warmth. Immediately. <laughs> and so it's not always chaos. At the same time, and Jen will tell you, I'll create chaos, and that's why I need the team behind me to make sure we're creating chaos with purpose. Does that make sense? And with intent. So I'm not sure if I totally answered your question, but I gave it a tip. There we are. Another question for the audience. Another question. Another question. Anyone else want to be brave and go? Yes. Yeah, big time. When you are looking at your one page, let me just say this. You need to, a couple things you need to look at. You need to start with the Bible. Duh, but there we are. Start with the Bible. You need to study your story. 
I'm telling you, you need to look at the story of your church, and for the most part, get this, this is always true, your story is filled with rich stories of people really were fully devoted to Jesus. And then you need to simplify it, okay? So I'm always anchoring everything. So the, the mission I'm anchoring in Matthew 28, Acts 1a, you need to be ready to anchor everything you do in Bible, make that Bible come alive, so I'll say all the time, I didn't make this up. It was Jesus. He's the pastor of this church. Jesus is the one that says, go and make disciples. We just call it fully devoted. You anchor it in the Bible. And let me tell you something really critical. The more you change, this is huge what I'm about to say, the more you change, the more you have to communicate what won't change. That was really good for the last three minutes here, guys. Well, what you, I'm telling you, the reason why New Life follows me is I'm crystal clear what won't change. And so I say all the time, at New Life, all the time, because it's, a, it's we're changing, and also Seattle, and everyone thinks Seattle churches are liberal, and we're all going to hell, probably are, but that's another issue. But people think all Seattle churches, we're kind of backsliding, and we're off mission, um, so I have to stand up and do it for a new life and go, because we are a church that when you walk in, it's modern. You want to live in it. It's like an old house that has been remodeled. And I have to clarify and say things like this. Hey, here at New Life, people ask me what I preach all the time. Here's what we preach. Cover to cover. Genesis, Revelation, the Bible, period. We stand on the word of God. Because what did I do there? Yes, you're going to see a church that is actually one that you like that stands on the Bible. So the more you change, the more you have to clarify what won't change. Does that make sense? And so I clarify this just really naturally. I don't like, okay, now I'm clarifying. Everyone listen. No, 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 no. I'll go like this. For example, I'll say this about worship. It always comes up. I'll say, here's the thing I love about New Life. We are about worship. We really don't care much about music, but we love worship. Music style changes, but worship's awesome. And we're all going to worship. And by the way, I don't even like out the worship songs, but I, I don't music, so I love worship. What, what did I do there? Do you see what I did? I, I said to the church, we're going to stand on worship and music is secondary. But probably, let me just say, a lot of times we get the problems in the churches we have because of the way we talked about it. We make our program sacred and not the mission behind it. So I say to New Life, any program, we can be God. And I'm joking. They know I'm joking. I love our program, so I really don't. Any program could change. And some of you are going, is he a Christian? I am, believe me. <laughs> I love children's ministry, but the programs, I'll do what works. Does that make sense? And the church knows that. They know, we are committed to children, but not committed to that particular program. Oh, I know some of you got, wow, like that gets like, uncomfortable and whatever. But you got to get this language right or your church, you will produce what you produce. You'll get what you get. Like they'll die for, I'm trying to think of a program without dividing the house. They'll die for, I don't know, let's say Royal Rangers. Is that okay? And yet, but they won't die for children. Does that make sense? I want my church to die for children. If we happen to do Royal Rangers, cool, but I want you to die for kids. You need to recalibrate. You need to get around people that think different. 
I want a church that loves children. If we happen to do mission, that's awesome. That's awesome. But that's secondary. I know some of you going, oh, no. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's children. I had this with our women's ministry. I want women that are fully devoted to Jesus. I want every lady in the house that loves Jesus. And then you find people that we have to do it this way. No, we don't. We have to make sure women love Jesus. How we do it is different. And it is so critical. This is why you got to get everyone on the same page. Now, if you want to be a church that says, no, we do women's ministry like this, we do it like this, we're more excited about programs, that's fine. Just communicate and lead your church that way. Does it make sense? I'm being a little fun there. <laughs> Anyways, I'll let you laugh later. Okay. Any, any other questions here? Any other questions here? I got a couple more seconds here. Any other questions from the house? Yeah. Assimilate new. It's all about we are. We start new people again. Another whole conversation. And more than likely, when you recalibrate your church, you're coming with a big initiative. One of the things that they add on that initiative is how you think about newer people. Newer people start connecting the moment you go to our website. The moment you drive to our parking lot. Matter of fact, my goal is they'll make this their home church before they hear me preach. It's everything. It's a service. It's, authentic. it's being authentic. It's real. It's everything that goes on. And then once you get the connection card, the on-ramping and following up on that, which I don't have time to hear, but it's a, it's a cultural problem. Like I, I mentioned earlier, I went to a church on vacation. I felt like I was visiting a family dinner table. And I for sure wasn't welcome. Now, they wouldn't have said that, but every ounce of conversation in the house was like, oh, am I going to interrupt if I say anything? And that comes from the pastor. One of the ways to welcome new people is in your preaching. Man, we're here, we're studying, we're, what are we preaching right now? Oh, we're about to start a series called The Apostle Paul. Okay, so I can start like this. I don't even know how to start it wrong, but I, let me try it wrong for a moment. <laughs> Open your Bible to Philippians. Let's go. I don't know. No. So, so I'll go like this. Hey, we're going to study this Apostle Paul. Many of you know Paul, but he's like the most famous person in the New Testament. And I want all of you, if you know Paul, forget about him and let's study him fresh. And those of you that don't know him, don't worry about it. I don't know much either. We're trying to get Paul. Let's go. Do you see what I did? I respected the new person to bring them into the conversation. They didn't feel like they're at a family dinner and they're interrupting. Hey, can I ask about Paul? And by the way, all of you, just side note, and I'm going to be done here, but side note, most of the people in your church don't know who the Apostle Paul is, is either. You always think, well, they don't. And so speak in context, bring them up to speed. You, people say, well, do you not preach about tithing, sin, hell? I'm going, you, you have an attitude you need to get over. Um, or come visit New Life and see. Yeah, yeah, we preach about sin, hell, tithing. We just explain it. And we say things like this. We think that if you like don't understand the word tithe, don't worry. It's a it's a rich it's a tradition in the Bible that's been around for six thousand years. I want to explain that to you. Like like honestly, I don't think we're normal. Sometimes I'm not sure if we believe what we're saying. 
And let me just say this. That's okay. To me, it's normal to get like that as a church. We stagnate. We get ingrown. And I don't think that's bad. My car, my Janet told me yesterday, you're due for a new car. My car, I mean, no, I'm not saying you're due for a new church. That didn't work. That did not work. My metaphor didn't work. But, you know, things just need to be refreshed, clean. So sometimes I'm not even sure if we're talking about leading and change, even though I'm a change agent. I just think we're just like, do you like it? Is it fresh? Do you believe that worship song? Believe me, if you're going, ooh, worship's going a little long. If you're saying that as a pastor, whoo, that 35-year-old guy that doesn't like church and rather be at a football game, if you think worship's too long, trust me. And some of you, I get this, and, I, and some of your cringe button is broken. It's like, you have bad breath and you don't know it. I get that. And that's why you need an outside voice to come in, stretch you, and all for the purpose of not being cold, not being like the church down the street, but just so you can reach the people that Jesus has called you to reach. That's the only thing, because honestly, left by myself, I'd rather get comfortable. I'd rather, oh, that's going to sound funny. I'd rather stagnate. It's way easier. I'd rather, like, like honestly, Honestly, like my girls, I have two adult children. They make sure that I recalibrate my clothing. I hate it. <laughs> Dad, and they don't say it like this. You got to recalibrate your clothing. What you wear matters. I'm going, no. They don't realize I have to paint those jeans on. I mean, they don't fit. <laughs> Does that make sense? But if I want to connect with people, what I wear it's important. Does that make sense? And I got to recalibrate even the way I communicate, the way I dress. Bottom line, everything has to recalibrate. You got to find intentional ways to do it so you're not forced to recalibrate, but you do it on purpose. You do it on purpose.